What's going on, coaches? It's been a good week for Coach Walls getting back around some of his football players, obviously, uh, in Iowa, them being smart about what they're doing around their players and keeping their players healthy and safe, but also giving them an opportunity to start working some football. Uh, we're excited here in Oklahoma. We get to start ours uh, on Monday here in a few days coming up, so excited to get back around our guys, get a football in their hands, and, and let them play the game that they love. Uh, if you guys need anything from us, reach out to us. You can find uh, everything you need from us on our website, runthepower.com. If you need to reach out to us, you can email us at coach at runthepower.com um, or hit us up on Twitter, runthepower. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formations, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Justin Poindexter. Coach Poindexter is a free agent coach, most recently working with the XFL's Tampa Bay Vipers as their running backs coach. Listen, we talk with Coach Poindexter about one of the coolest football journeys we have ever heard here on RTP. We also discuss football officiating and evaluation, in addition to some pointers to help develop your running backs. You can follow Coach Poindexter on Twitter at CoachJ underscore P. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, well, coach, let's let's go ahead and get this thing started. So, you know, kind of how we start all these things um, is, and and the whole reason we kind of reached out to you was we actually saw you um, or your uh, resume, I believe, on Twitter. Uh, I saw a couple coaches that that I know really well had retweeted you, and I was like, man, what an awesome idea! So then I go read the resume, and you were um, you've been at everywhere. I mean, at every level of football, it was like, I was like, oh my gosh, what, this is unbelievable. And then I thought, you know, I thought that was awesome. Then I thought, well, what a, what a great idea to put your resume out on Twitter uh, in front of all these coaches. I mean, I think that's a great idea. And then, man, look at these, these places he's been, uh, schools and then the NFL and, and Canada. I was like, man, I'd love to have this guy on. And so uh, really excited to have you. But, but kind of how we start all this is kind of let you introduce yourself and, and really give everyone your, you know, your football journey, if you will, which is 
again, by just by reading the resume on Twitter is uh, an unbelievable one, you know, kind of from playing days, but, but then to coaching and how that brought you to where you are now. Yeah. So, um, well, definitely appreciate, appreciate it. Um, so, um, I actually started off at Howard university. Uh, that's where I went to school. I played high school ball in Chicago, inner city, um, went to Percy L. Julian high school. Uh, that's kind of where I started to pick up, um, football. It was actually, it's funny because we ran the triple option. I was just talking to a couple of friends about that being in a inner city school and running triple option was kind of different. Um, so, uh, but that was what the high school had ran, you know, years before uh, when they had a lot of success. So it was kind of interesting. It was kind of cool to be a part of that. Um, but uh, going forward, so left, went to Howard University. Uh, that's where I, uh, I played football uh, for two seasons. Uh, after my first, basically after my first year, I was academically ineligible. And... Um, you know, we had a coaching staff change and it was, I was a walk on. So it was kind of one of those things where it was like, OK, we, you know, by the time I got my grades back in order and we were getting ready to, um, you know, start up summer camp. It was kind of like, you know, I, I because I was a walk on, had to find my own housing and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff on campus. So it was kind of a, it, I mean, it was a mess. Like I so I ended up going back to camp. Our head coach at the time. Um, basically, you know, changed his phone number over the summer, didn't follow through with some of the guys that were walk-ons that weren't there for the summer um, and had guys that were around run the conditioning test. If they didn't pass it, he basically kicked them off the team. I kind of was just like, you know what? I don't even want to deal with that. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like I have more stuff that I wanted to accomplish while I was in school. And I just didn't know if football was going to give me the time actually. Um, so Fast forward, so I go a year. I'm now into my junior year, and I'm like, man, I really, I really want to do something with, you know, with sports. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, fully what that is. And so, um, you know, I just started thinking about, well, you know, I, I've always liked coaching. I've always liked football. I've always liked, you know, the game itself. And people always told me when I played, like, oh, he's really smart. He can kind of teach himself. Mm -hmm. you know all those kinds of things so I was like all right cool well you know let me look into this so when I was a junior I actually got my first uh, coaching job I was working at Gonzaga College High School in DC um, under uh, coach Aaron Brady um, he was a really good dude he, had, he coached FBS football for a while and you know ended up having an opportunity where he could be close to family and so that's why he ended up taking that job um, he gave me my first football job. And prior to that, I actually coached baseball for a season as well at, at Gonzaga as well. Um, so did that uh, for a year. And then uh, we had a coaching staff change at Howard. Um, I ended up being able to serve as a graduate assistant, um, working with the tight ends and, and working with the O-line. And I really built a really good connection with a uh, guy by the name of Chennis Berry who's uh, now the head coach at uh, Benedict College in um, South Carolina. And he's a, uh, he, he, you know, he kind of just took me under his wing. Um, and he was being an old, you know, he was, as an O-line coach, you know, I was able to connect with him. And I did a lot of his early, like, drill tapes. So, like, if, um, I, like, if you look on YouTube and you look up Chinnisbury and you look up his, like, 2013 drill tapes up until – you know, probably the most recent stuff. Like I've probably done most of it um, for him. So that's how I kind of just built a connection with him. And we, we just kind of hit it off and, you know, um, ended up, you know, I was in an unpaid role when I was at Howard. So ended up leaving 
uh, went from there, uh, took a, actually got a job opportunity working for the Big Ten Conference office um, where I did video actually for the football officials. Um, so it was kind of interesting because I got, got to work next to a head NFL official for a long time. His name is Bill Carollo. And, um, you know, it was funny just talking to Bill about football because, you know, as, as an official, they see it differently than we do as coaches. So it, it was it was a really good experience uh, to kind of sit back and observe, like, you know, maybe a big game, big situation in a Big Ten game, or maybe it was in a MAC game or a Missouri Valley game, and just having to pull those clips from different games to help him set up for his weekly drill tape for the officials. Like, hey, guys, we missed this last week. You know, we need to do better doing this. And I think sometimes people don't think – or realize that, but officials do meet and like they have, they have a lot of work to do too. So it made me have, this, yeah, you know, I had no idea. The game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So people don't really know that, but like there's a director of officials for each conference and they, you know, they set it up. So like the big 10 runs the, the big 10, the Mac and the Missouri Valley in terms of officials, that's, that's their pipeline. So typically like if you're an official, you start in the Valley and you move your way up to the Mac and then you, you know, hopefully you're in the big 10 at some point. Um, and, and so those officials, I mean, they're, they're around for a long time and, you know, they may rotate spots and things like that on the field, but it's, its own, it's its own family. Um, and a lot of them, some of them even do basketball like they do. So they'll do, you know, big 10 football, but then they'll turn around and do big 10 basketball. So it's kind of, it's, it's just interesting. Um, hmm. Um, but yeah, they meet and they do, they clinic and they, they do the same stuff we do as coaches. <laughs> so, um, cause they have to get things right. Like, you know, Hey, this is a holding call. We, you know, or this isn't a holding call. We'll let this slide. Like they're, they're able to sit and kind of talk about those things. So that's, wow. uh, you, know, huh. you know, you know, like they go through it just to try and be on the same page and kind of have some uniformity. I mean, that's ultimately what they're trying to do. And of course they're human. They're going to miss things too, but that, that's their, that's what they're trying to do. Um, so needless to say from there, uh, coach Barry ended up getting the offensive well, co-offensive coordinator title and, uh, the O-line job at Southern university down in Baton Rouge. Um, so he asked, Hey, you've been doing video with the big 10. Could you, you know, serve as the tight ends coach and be the video coordinator? I was like, yeah, sure. So I ended up leaving, took a job, uh, took that job, was there at Southern for two years. Uh, we won the SWAC the first year, um, came back, lost in the SWAC championship uh, the, the following year. So we had some success, um, worked with some some great young men who, uh, you know, like one of them played in the NFL. One of them is a coach now. The other one's doing dental work and stuff. So, you know, that's, it's pretty cool uh, to see them all kind of grow up and mature. So um, that was big for me because I'm not that much older than them. Um, you know, I'm, you're, you're talking, I'm only 31. They're probably 25, 26 or so. <laughs> right. You know, so it's not like it's that big of a difference, but that was, you know, it impacted me being a younger guy. Cause when I got my first, you know, college coaching job, I was 24. So, um, I was, I was young. So, um, needless to say, had that success at Southern ended up getting an opportunity to work in recruiting. Uh, back at Northwestern. So I served as a recruiting assistant. So I worked with uh, the O-line a little bit um, in terms of helping uh, the O-line coach, uh, Adam Cushing, who's now the head coach at uh, Eastern Illinois. Um, I, you know, was able to help him out and um, kind of do some different projects and things like that, dealing with O-line play and, and um, you know, recruiting um, his 
recruiting area, helping out with, you know, helping making sure that his schedules and everything were good to go, flights were good, all that kind of stuff. Um, so did that for a year and a half. The trick with that was it was an unpaid uh, opportunity. Um, so with it being unpaid, it was kind of cool because uh, Coach Fitz actually let me um, – I ended up getting an opportunity to be a Bill Walsh Minority Fellow for the uh, for the San Francisco 49ers, where I was able to work with the O-line and special teams. And, um, you know, normally they want guys to come back and come back early and whatnot, but Coach Fitz actually let me stay uh, a little bit longer in the training camp um, so that I could just kind of experience like that, that the whole week of being, you know, what the process was, getting ready for a preseason game and things like that. Um, so it was really cool. Um, and I, you know, definitely appreciate him for that experience because it was good. It was good for me in terms of my development and just kind of confirmed to me that I wanted to get into coaching and things like that. Um, so, uh, like I said, worked there for a year and a half, uh, unpaid, ended up getting a, um, so I'm actually now I left Northwestern because I had to take a teaching job. I was like, Hey, I got to pay the bills. Yeah, right. Somehow. So I, t so, so I was like, man, this, you know, I've been making bare minimum for a little while. I need to get, got a little impatient. So I was like, Hey, you know, I gotta go make some money, man. <laughs> so and ended up getting a teaching job at, um, um, down in St. Louis. And so, um, it was, it was really funny because I taught middle school for a year at a KIPP school and it was, I mean, it was, it's really great now because it helps me like learn how to teach. It taught me how to teach in terms of football. Um, and it was just, it was an interesting experience. It was different. Um, but taught there ended up, I was actually about to stay here in St. Louis and uh, coach at a high school um, that a buddy had just gotten a head job at. And uh, that's when I got a call from Mark Tressman out the blue. And it was uh, a, a a coaching buddy of mine had recommended me for to him. They needed an assistant O-line coach because the young man that they had, you know, had to leave for, for whatever reason and couldn't stay uh, with, the, with the organization. And so they needed somebody to come in right away and like, hey, can you draw on Vizio? Hey, what's a box look like? You know what I mean? What's the, <laughs> right. What's, what's, right. what's this? What's, you know, are, are you good with the fronts? Like, can you tell me what a bear front is? Just, you know, a little basic stuff just to see if I knew football. And it was like, yeah, okay, he knows football. We're good. We can roll. So um, I, the only problem with this was I didn't have my passport. So <laughs> I had to literally Jeez. run back. So I had to, I called my buddy. I'm like, we're, we're at practice when I got this voicemail from him on my phone. I was like, okay. Hey, I got to go take this call real quick. Like, I'll be right back. I ran, you know, talked to him. He was like, hey, the job's yours if you want it. Like, you know, we need you here as soon as you can. And so that was – that would have been Friday. I drove to Chicago. No, that would have been Saturday. Drove to Chicago on Sunday. Went to the passport office Monday morning. Got my passport processed like same day so you have to pay extra for that in case anybody ever needs to get their passport <laughs> yes you uh, do expedited yes. you pay a little extra and, but you can't get it expedited if you have a reason or like so you know i had a work permit at, at this point to like come up there so um it was monday tuesday i was on the road driving to toronto from st louis wednesday I was at practice, you know, work, at work at 6 a.m., and we were grinding from that point on, and we ended up winning the Grey Cup that year. So it was really awesome to kind of come up there midseason and, like, you know, kind of go from trying to figure out what is, what's a waggle, 
what's, you know, what's all this stuff going on? Wait a minute. There's so many people on the field moving. Like it was a really, <laughs> it was just really different game. But it, <laughs> That's it, exactly right. It, but it was cool because like my first game in like, as you know, working in the CFL was actually at Montreal. And I had heard so much about Montreal from guys that I had worked around who had, you know, gone to the CFL for a little bit or whatever it may be. And, you know, so I knew, and I knew coach Trustman, that's where he initially, you know, got his big break was in Montreal. So um, it was really cool to kind of go there and experience that environment and see it. Cause that's one of the awesome environments probably just from the stadium set up to, you know, the fans and it's kind of like a soccer game really. So um, was up there, uh, served as the assistant O-line coach and did quality control work uh, for a year and a half. Um, we got let go after the second season and then coach Trestman got the job with the uh, Tampa Bay Vipers um, in the XFL um, and was able to bring me down uh, south of the border and, you know, we moved down to Tampa. Uh, he was able to promote me to being the running backs coach. And uh, so I was working with running backs this season. So um, definitely was having to do a lot of just teaching myself on the fly, um, listening to the players, um, you know, because those guys have been the guys I had. I was really lucky because they were real mature. Uh, they were a real, you know, just awesome group. Um, and, and, you know, they all I mean, they were, they were stand-up guys. And, I mean, that was one of the biggest things we were looking for when we were drafting players in general. Um, so it was really awesome because uh, they helped me. And, you know, I was able to help them because for them, they were learning things from an O-line perspective that they hadn't thought of. And for, for, for me, it was great because I'm learning technique from them that I didn't know just because I had never, you know, been around running backs in that capacity. So it was a really great learning experience. Um, and then, of course, with COVID and everything, um, you know, the league shut down. But, um, it, you know, it's been it's been an interesting ride, to say the least, so far. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and uh, a ton of different spots that you've had to work through, uh, not making much, if anything, um, which is some of the stories that we, we enjoy the most because, um, you know, Obviously, we'd rather everyone be getting paid. Uh, we would we would like to get paid, you know, as much as possible too. But uh, you know, Brady tells stories of of him going through those those days at at Tulsa, making no money, but just how much football I learned and and how much it proved, you know, to him, but to everybody else, like, hey, this guy loves football. He's out here doing it. Um, obviously, hoping that eventually it turns into a, a better payday, but purely because he just loves football and wants to be around it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and, that, and that's the biggest thing, you know, that was actually, it's funny because that was the XFL's motto was, you know, for the love of football, they wanted guys who played in the league who were, you know, absolutely loved the game because they weren't getting paid a ton, you know, and I mean, at the end of the day, most of those players, you know, I felt bad for them once, once the league folded because, I mean, you have a lot of guys that were giving up a, a ton um, in order to, uh, you know, make that sacrifice to be in the cities that they were in to, you know, kind of try to make ends meet and, and play a game, you know, with the hopes that, hey, maybe, you know, you figure I don't even know the number uh, offhand, but I, I, I mean, you're, you're talking maybe what 30 or 40 guys that signed NFL contracts yeah, compared to the, you know what I mean, compared to the hundreds that played in the league or, or came out to training camp, you know, or to the showcases for that matter. You know, you have a lot of guys that were out trying to prove themselves. And it was, uh, that, you know, I guess that's kind of, uh, you know, having gone to an HBCU and, and experienced that, like, you know, you kind of always feel like you're the underdog. So you, you, you kind of 
have that extra, um, you know, that extra little bit in your pocket that says, Hey, I got to keep pushing regardless of how tough things may be or whatever it is. That was Coach, one of the ahead, cool Lawrence. things. I said, I, I got to go see, you know, the XFL. We had a, a guy that I coached with. He actually worked in the personnel department with the St. Louis squad. Uh, so I got to go down and see the battle Hawks and, you know, meet the coaching staff, talk to a bunch of players. And there's actually you know, a couple guys that I'd coached. It was pretty cool. But just like you said, man, I, I was hoping and praying that league would make it. And there was so many cool stories. And, and that's what, you know, the guy that I knew said, he said when the, when the guys first got there to kind of, you know, bring the team together and, and kind of, you know, get everybody on the same page, they kind of had, quote, some of the veterans and leaders kind of just tell like their personal story, you know, kind of like you did, coach, just, just now. But he said, you know, finding out the background of these guys, all the different places they played football, you know, the neighborhoods they grew up in, whatever their story would be, you know, some of them, you know, families and got, you know, how many kids, whatever it was. He said, it was just another chance for those guys. Hey, let's give it one more ride. I love football. And then, you know, it's going to create hopefully another added, you know, avenue to either to the NFL, you know, to get into coaching, whatever it might be. But I was heartbroken when the thing broke down, man. I thought it was going to be the one because it was starting to get gather some really cool momentum. Yeah, I mean, it, it really was like, I, you know, for us, we were actually getting ready to um, get up to uh, St. Louis when we kind of found out um, and, and it hit some of the players differently. You know, like you had guys on our team who um, this was their, you know, like, for instance, like one of our running backs, uh, Jaquez Patrick, Jaquez was fresh out of college and just needed an extra opportunity to, to put more film out there and to show like, hey, I am the, you know, that, that premier back that I was coming out of high school that everybody thought was legit. He just needed to, he had that chip on his shoulder and he played like a whole season. I mean, from day one, you saw his effort and everything else. And people were like, man, that kid's, I mean, he runs angry. Like he really, he plays hard. You know what I mean? Like he has something to prove. And, you know, like at the same time, our starting running back, uh, Davion Smith, who played at Michigan, Davion was that same type of guy, right? But he had been in the AAF as well. So for him, it was like, oh, man, not again. Like, you yeah. know, so like that, that really sucked for him because you're talking about a guy who's had multiple NFL, you know, opportunities and he's out there literally for the love of football, just trying to make ends meet. And he knows that in a league like this, he can be a superior player, which he was for us. I mean, he led the league in rushing. So, you know, like those are the guys that, you know, I hurt for them because it's like, you know, Jaquez was fortunate enough. He'd put enough on film for the Bengals to give him an opportunity. So he's right now with their their staff, you know, as we all kind of try to figure out what's going on. But, um, you know, for, for you know, like a guy like Davion, I mean, hey, it, it kind of sucks. You know, it's, it's just a bad situation for him because, you know, he's putting everything into it to try and get another opportunity. And he's capable of it. It's just, you know, who's going to give you that one opportunity? And, you know, him being a running back, they, they kind of devalue that position um, in the NFL. So it's, it's tough. Coach, what year, what year uh, was your first year at Southern? Uh, so that would have been 2013. I got you. Did, so, you guys, did you guys go play the University of Houston that year? Yes, we played University of Houston and got mollywopped in the first. <laughs> that mean, was, was actually I, I played. I played in that game. Oh, awesome! Okay, yeah, yeah so that I, would have been. So, uh, who was the running back? Pharaoh. 
Kenneth yep. Farrow. Kenneth Farrow. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I remember the name when I saw him again in the XFL. I was like, yep, that, <laughs> that's that guy. <laughs> that's, um, that's right. Yeah, so I was there. We, I mean, we, we were – I mean, we ended up, you know, like we got – let me see, we played you guys. We had a tough go at it, and then we played Northwestern State after that, and it was the same thing. Like, we, we, I think we lost like 42 nothing, and then – I don't know what it was. Like, I think our turning point that season was we ended up at some point um, early in the season playing like a double overtime game, and that was like the one game we – like that kind of started everything for us, and we just went on a roll. Hmm. Um, the guys kind of fought and they, you know, they needed, they knew they needed to win it. Um, we ended up, I, I want to say like we lost to Alcorn and then nail biter at home. Like we, we played a lot of tough games that year. I, I want to say we played like four double overtime games, including the championship game against Jeez. Jackson state. Man. And, and, and we played against Jackson state. That was the game where I, like, I, you know, I hate to bring it up, but it's funny. Um, my buddy that I'm, I'm currently staying with, he went to Jackson state. So I always kind of grind his nose in it a little bit. <laughs> you have to. Remember when the kid, remember when the kid was out of bounds and it was on, it was a sports center, not top 10 play for oh, I don't no. know how long, cause he was out of bounds and they would have tied the game oh. <laughs> in double overtime. Oh, and that's man. how we ended up winning. It was a fourth down play. It was a great – I mean, it was a beautiful play call. He just ran out of bounds first before he – he was standing – he was literally standing with just his heels, like, out of bounds. I was like, oh, my gosh, Jeez. we were so lucky. But, you know, in football, you rather – in football, you rather be lucky than, than good sometimes. So <laughs> You're exactly right. Dang right. Well, Coach, so, so I'm kind of curious. So I don't know anything about officials and what they do, and, and it was news to me that, that they met, you know, together – uh, it seems like the games, all the games I've been a part of, um, they, they haven't met, uh, mostly as a joke. But um, what all – did you learn anything big from that experience as far as – and this is kind of a um, selfish question, I think, but as far as working officials, as far as on the sidelines, as far as what they see and what they can't see, uh, do you, did you come away from that experience with any, with any you know, revelations as far as – um, how to work officials or how to even, you know, this sounds bad, but how to help your guys cheat or how to help them not cheat's not the right word, but, but, you know, for me as an offensive lineman, I think of holding kind of as cheating, but I want to get away with it as much as possible. I want to hold as long as we hold certain ways and you let go at certain times, you can get away with that um, because it is such a, you know, a bang, bang call and doesn't get hold that, you know, called that much. So uh, did, did you come away with any big, uh, revelations from that experience yeah so you know what the biggest thing um I would say um I kind of picked up from just doing that was kind of where they position themselves um you know on a certain play and technically like you know who should be making a call hmm. like if you ever like if you ever see like a pass interference call on one sideline but like another official throws the flag it's almost it's impossible because that's not his call like that's not that particular official's call because technically the best vantage point is the the side judge on that side. Like that's why he's there. Hmm. Like he should be the only one that throws the flag. And sometimes you see officials like, you know, you may see a, a play down the field and like you see another flag come from like the middle of the field, maybe an umpire or something like that. Right. He, he shouldn't, he shouldn't mm -hmm. be making that call. You know what I mean? Like hmm. he should be nowhere involved in that call. It's because that, that's not where his eyes should be. Hmm. You know, so like with you, like to me, if I see multiple flags on a play, then 
it, they better be in two completely different spots. Cause if both of them are <laughs> looking at the same thing, they're watching the game <laughs> instead of watching their responsibility. Huh. Um, so, you know, that, that's big in terms of um, just understanding th those little nuances. But I think for me, like, the other thing was, you know, same thing, O-line play, right? Like, you understand, like, hey, I'm not going to call holding. I'm not going to, you know, it, holding is so – I don't even know how to word it. Just it's, it's one of those calls that, like, you get it at any point in time. Like, right, it's exactly. kind of a hit or It's kind of a hit or miss. I think, like, general rule says, hey, if my hands are extended outside the framework of my body, then, you know, it's a hold. And so, like, that's all you can kind of, re, you know, regurgitate to the players to say, like, hey, you know, make sure if you, as soon as you feel yourself get outside of your, your body framework, then you're probably wrong. What, what have you heard? So, on the sidelines, there's some coaches that are more like me where I'd rather just not say anything to, to the, um, you know, to the refs and, and be nice and let them kind of make their call. Uh, but then you, there's also coaches that are in their ear all the time. And, to me, it seems like if I was a ref and a guy acted like that, I wouldn't want to give him very many calls. But you also hear that guys that do that all the time get a bunch of calls. I mean, that's kind of like the, the word around the street is, you know, <laughs> the guys that act like that get a lot more calls. Is there any, is there any you know, truth to that? Have, did you pick any of those guys' brains uh, about that? You know, a lot of the, you know, I would say probably like just, you know, talking or thinking through it and talking to some of those guys. Like, I just remember them saying, like, you kind of have to tune coaches out. You listen to them, but you, you, you have to call the game as you see it. Right. You know, I mean, and it's just like us calling it. If you're an offensive coordinator or anything like that, I mean, you're, you're at some point you're going to have to, you know, kind of, um, you know slow down and and see the game the way you see it like you may have a bunch of people chirping at you about oh hey coach we should be doing this we should be doing that and you see those guys there are kind of like hey shut up stop talking <laughs> like it's the same thing for an official like especially the referee that's kind of why the referee isn't near the head coach you know what I mean like that's why there's that distance because if the head coach could be in the referee's ear every play it would be you know it'd be uh, uh just it wouldn't be a good situation to say the least so well, it wouldn't be fair because I, you know, I mean he'd be on one sideline instead of the other too you know right like he would have to flip flop and then hear the coach out I mean all referees and officials are doing their best throughout the course of the game to try and communicate hey like you know watch your left tackle he's a little deep or you know like they'll communicate all these little things throughout the course of the game because they're just trying to make sure that the game and the product looks good I mean, that's all, you know, football at the end of the day at every level is about what does the product look like on the field? And it's coaching, it's the players, it's the officials. I mean, you know, they don't want to blow calls either. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because now, like, I mean, I'm sure there's been more officials that get a death threat or, you know, something foolish because they missed a call versus, you know, the guy that makes a great call in the big game. Like, it just, it just, it is what it is. Like, so, you know, those guys are, they're, they're, shoot they're employees too you know what I mean they're trying to be the best they're all trying to like I said if you're a Missouri Valley official you're trying to get to the Big Ten mm -hmm. you know you're, you're you're trying to climb that ladder everything you know it's it's a big ladder for everybody like everybody's trying to take that next step in their career and and do things like that so everybody you know they take it seriously especially you know at the college level or even you know for high school officials that have higher aspirations Coach, you know, that, that's one of the most annoying <laughs> the, the, and I'm with you, but one of the most annoying as a player uh, for me was 
when they kept telling you you were too far back off the line of scrimmage as a tackle. <laughs> I, I would My whole first year as a freshman, it made me nervous, and the coaches would yell at me, and I'd try to move up, and I didn't know what was going on. But sophomore year on, I, I got to be where I was like, no, whatever, I'm going to make them call it. And they never called it on me. They just chirped right. at me every, sing, every single drive. I'm like, yeah, 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 I got it. To some points, I had to look over there like I was a receiver and make sure I was on. But I always figured, I'm going to make them call this one day. And they never did. But they, they sure did talk about it a lot. And, and you know what? That's really funny because, like, working in the CFL, everything is a yard off. Like, that's huh. the biggest difference in, in your, in your O-line play. So imagine, like, you know, just talking to some of the O-line coaches that I've been around up there. Um, you know, they said, you know, you get these guys from – big school guys, right, that don't get drafted. And you say, hey, come up here and play left tackle. Because that's normally what happens if you go up to the CFL. Like the, the Americans typically play tackle. Um, you may have a guard, but, you know, for the value or how much you're paying that player, you would rather have a tackle. And you're only allowed um, like so many Americans. Is that correct on your team? <clears throat> well, it's not even the number of Americans. What it is is like you have to have um, seven Canadian starters. Ah, there you go. Okay. I so, so you have to have so many starters. So a lot of people, you know, they say, hey, we can find our big guys up here in Canada. So we'll fill the right. interior O-line and then we'll play with American tackles. Or, you know, some guys go five across um, Canadian and, you know, now you're able to say, hey, now you're able to play an extra American receiver somewhere. Or now you have like all defensive linemen that are American or, you know, whatever it may be. You just want to find right. the best player and, and create mismatches and, you know, matchup problems. Um, but, the, but that yard off in terms of, you know, O-line play is completely different because now I can't lunge out face, face first and, you know, bury my head into a block because I, I will end up on my face. <laughs> like, and I've seen guys that came out for tryouts and we would hold a bag back. <laughs> You know what I mean? At the distance. And then they would try to lunge and they'd almost have to like catch themselves because they're so used to just coming out flat back straight ahead. And you just can't do that in the CFL. <clears throat> Coach, you'd also said, you know, when you're talking about referees, they'd ask them to do basketball games. And, you know, I, my old principal actually at Jenks, he's an NFL referee now, Clay Martin. And he was, you know, Conference USA, worked his way up. Like you'd, you'd also mentioned, you know, those guys want to move up. And he kind of talked to me for a while about, hey, you know, if you ever want to get out of coaching, get into refereeing, he's like, the fastest way to, to get on the fast track is to also do basketball. Because, like, yeah. you just need to be in a sport. You need to, you know, be working on your judgment, working on handling, you know, coaches and things like that, all the extraneous things, fans. And then not only that, you know, seeing full speed, you know, movement and then having to make calls. So I was amazed. He said the same thing. He's like, you should be working basketball games, too if you want to do football and move up because there's so few football games, there's a lot more basketball games. And, and see, like, that's a good one because like, for instance, one of our officials, like the one that pops into my mind is uh, Gene Sterator. He's a, you know, he does announcing work mm -hmm. for, um, you know, different for football. Like he kind of does like some of the officials background, like, Hey Gene, what did, you know, what was your call on this? Or did the officials make the right call? He's kind of matriculated and, you know, through, through his career, but he was a Big Ten basketball official. Like, he would do something like, you know, you think he's probably – he would do the entire Big Ten season. Um, and he wasn't a referee in the Big Ten. Um, but he, you know, he was one of the other positions. Um, but, you know, he was an NFL, like, head referee. 
for for years, and he also did major college basketball. So he did Big Ten, ACC, SEC. So outside of his regular day job, he was traveling and you know doing probably seventy to eighty games a year between basketball and football. Yeah, Martin was uh, he was actually the head basketball coach at Jenks too. So I mean, he's a principal head basketball coach, and then he would do. Uh, conference USA games and then his fast track you know like you said you know if you're in the valley or whatever conference USA had the fast track to the to the league because the guy that ran all the conference USA officials was the one that was putting guys in the NFL too so he was kind of the liaison for the NFL so it worked out perfect you know hey you might be working with all the big time college football but he had fast track to the NFL and heck now he's not having to do anything other than be head referee yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it is it is a different career path, like, you know, and it's it, you just have to know, like, it does come with the pressure of, like you said, making quick, decisive judgment calls. You know, you got to you got to be able to kind of sit there and say, like, hey, this is this is it. And I'm sticking to it. I'm sticking to my guns. And I believe that this is what it is. Um, so it's it is a being an official is is, you know, it's an awesome thing. You just have to really enjoy that sport, um, you know, enjoy learning the mechanics of making decisions. Um, like, you know, basketball is its own thing. Like those guys, they, the way they rotate around the basketball court and everything. I had no clue when I had watched basketball and I loved basketball growing up. I mean, you know, I loved I from Chicago. So I grew up with the Bulls and, you know, so. I I just never paid attention to the officials. So like how they rotate on the basketball court, that's a big thing because they all have to be on the same page. Like, Hey, there's a foul on one end of the court. I'll take the baseline on the other side. This time you take this other sideline. Like it was really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it was, and it was really cool for us in the big 10 because our director of uh, basketball officials um, was actually a head basketball coach. Um, before he had taken this job so it was really cool uh just because again I had aspirations of coaching and you know for him he had been there he he had coached at you know major college basketball and so he was able to kind of you know talk to me about different things like hey you should keep a for me it was like hey you should keep a notebook of you know every single coach like he was like don't put it like in your phone and everything else like literally write it out so that you always have it like keep a coaching book like keep articles that you read that you like Hmm. keep um you know just different things throughout the course of time because you never know when hey I can go back to this binder and say like hey you know what what about this article that I kind of I kind of remember reading this article back you know six seven years ago and I I know I threw it in my book but you have it in one space like he said he kept a uh, he kept like an accordion folder with everything from all his years of coaching um so, that, you know, it was kind of, um, it was, you know, it was interesting, like just kind of hearing it from his perspective. Cause I mean, basketball and football, I mean, they kind of carry over. I mean, it's sport is a sport, especially in the college realm, you know, like, so mm-hmm. personalities and, and ultimately, you know, coaching is about leadership. Um, so that, I mean, it, it was kind of interesting cause it's all the same, whether it's, you know, you're just teaching different mechanics or whatever it may be. Coach, obviously, not to get too too far sidetracked, but um, were you were you old enough at the time to get to watch and and really enjoy the Bulls in in their heyday? I mean, I was a a little young. I guess I was probably 
eight when they won their last championship probably. Um, but I always remember being a Bulls fan and arguing with my, uh, with my cousins who got to be Jordan and Pippen and then, uh, you know, kind of giving our girl cousins. She always had to be Dennis Rodman. Um, and so I always remember arguing that and how cool that was. But that was, you know, miles away in Oklahoma, which we had no NBA team and it wasn't, you know, it was huge there in Oklahoma. Uh, what was that like I mean, in Chicago? Did you ever get to go to any of those games? Uh, I've always just thought that would have been that would have been an unbelievable time to watch basketball. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was really awesome being in Chicago around that time. I mean, because you, you know, you had the Bulls just every year you had this big, you know, a parade. It seemed like everything that we did was centered around what the Bulls were doing and, um, you know, what the and when Michael Jordan went to the Sox, you know, I became a Sox fan. I grew up. At, and here's the thing. I'm a Southsider. Mm-hmm. I was a Cubs fan. Like, I love Sammy Sosa. I really thought, you know, like I, I was just. I was a kid, so I, that's what I liked, and that's what we saw mm-hmm. most of the time. Like, my grandfather always would kind of watch the Cubs, and it's funny because I now as I, you know, growing up, like, I didn't realize, um, you know, like, the Cubs have, um, I, I, you know, like, my grandparents or whatever, they watch the Cubs more than they watch the Sox just due to, you know, some of the stuff that's going on now in our country. Um, they just felt like, you know, the Sox, I mean, the Cubs, you know, they had African-American players, so they, they liked that franchise more they didn't care about south or north side um so it's interesting because I grew up watching the Cubs um same thing like so when Michael Jordan went to the Sox it was kind of like oh okay cool like now I'm a Sox fan you know what I mean like it's Michael Jordan like I can't help but you know like the Sox so like you would watch both teams and and I I, like I grew up I'm right now if I wore I would wear a Sox hat and I would wear a Cubs hat um but needless to say, like, back to, you know, basketball, like, basketball is king. Like, everybody thought they were Michael Jordan. Like, you know, you'd always go out with your friends and play basketball. And I just remember – I probably am old enough to remember, like, the last three championships more specifically than the first three. Like, I remember the rosters of the first three, and I remember watching games. But, you know, vivid memories come from, like, the last three where, like, you know, you see fireworks in Chicago when they won in Salt Lake City and – um, you know, just things like that. Just, you know, it was, you, you kind of knew that Jordan wasn't coming back. And, you know, you, there was this rush of emotion of, man, they really just won. But at the same time, you know, like, this is it. <laughs> like, right. There's no more. We're done. <laughs> we're done. Like, so, you know, you're a little sad, too, because it was like, well, maybe they can figure something out. And, um, you know, it was just it, it was interesting, you know, so. Well, Coach, um, one of the coolest parts, and, and I'm sure you've gotten to watch the documentary. I know I, I, know I have. And so I watched the new Jordan documentary, and, um, you know, Coach Walls has talked about Phil Jackson for years now. And uh, I, I listened to him, but I think I kind of blew him off. And then I watched the documentary, and then so then I finally buy the Phil Jackson book, 11 Rings, and listen to it a few times. And, and now I'm, you know, I'm – addicted to you know Phil Jackson and what he did with that team you know with the Lakers as well but really with that Bulls team and and juggling obviously unbelievable players but completely different personalities all on that team from you know from obviously their their uh, manager to their owner uh, all the way to to Pippen and and Jordan and and Rodman you know and and how there's a lot of teams out there that that the coaches would would have been a part of that and maybe he wouldn't have been able to pull together and 
make that team a championship team or would have let some of the Rodman things implode or would have lost it with the general manager or the owner or so many different things that, uh, yes, you can't win without players, but it it is also something to be said about a a coach that can manage all of those different personalities. Um, The biggest thing, obviously, to me and everyone talks about is, is with Rodman. I mean, Rodman needed to just, go let off steam and, and he kind of allowed that and talked to his team about that. And, and that was kind of a, a big like shock in my face. Cause I had always kind of heard, you know, as a coach, Hey, you've got to have a, a line and this is the line and everyone's got to do it. And if you've been the line for one person, then everyone thinks they can get away from it. And, and um, if I would have been in that situation, you know, my team would have lost. Whereas Phil, you know, kind of understood some different things, obviously a lot smarter than I am. Um, and, and allowed that to happen, but talked with the rest of his team. Uh, I'm curious, and it's not, again, a very good question, but kind of where your thoughts are with some of that. As far as you being a coach, I mean, you've done it at so many different levels, and I'm sure you've had to juggle um, with the game of football, uh, me included, is a huge, a lot of time, ego game. Uh, and that's why, you know, grown men, you know, that hit other people, there's a, there's a big ego in that. and and with offensive linemen, obviously, there's not normally um, – it's not the most diva position, but you've got five different guys that you're trying to, you know, mold into one group. What are some things maybe that, that you took away from that? Or what are some uh, – how are you as a coach as far as um, playing that fine line between letting everyone be their own person but also, you know, doing what's best for the group? It's just a – it's such a tough, you know, balancing act, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so the funny part is, you know, watching the documentary, that part kind of stood out to me too, but it's something that I've kind of, you know, felt, uh, for me, it was important. Like you have to, at the end of the day, everybody wants to have a brand. Like that is the thing in 2020, I've got to have a brand as a coach. I've got to, you know, have the, 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 the right um, Photoshop edit of myself for the picture, you know, the players have to, you know, feel like they have to brand themselves in order to kind of have long-term success as, you know, an athlete or as a, you know, outside of sports as well. Um, ultimately, like, it, I think like the, you have to have discipline in order to be, have success. However, with discipline, I don't need to kill a player's spirit. I, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, guys want to play for you if you're able to say, hey, I'm coaching you hard based on what I'm seeing on film, the technique that we're doing, you know, these things. However, if you want to, you know, play music, as long as you're not disrupting other people, it is fine, dude. Do your right. thing. I don't care about you, you know, having your headsets on. If nobody else on the team cares about it, it's no big deal to me. I mean, that's just my belief, like, you know, just different things. Because I've been around different guys. Like, you know, being um, with Coach Trestman was different than being with Coach Fitz, which was different than being with Coach Odoms at Southern. You know, they all have a little bit different philosophy. You know, mm-hmm. being with being with Coach Odoms at Southern, he's he's disciplined. He's hard-nosed. He, you know, he really has a lot of respect for the Alabama program. So he's able to kind of, you know, he was able to kind of spend some time and study and observe what they were doing in terms of having that discipline, kind of tough, 
mentality. And so, you know, you go to a place like Northwestern where, you know, being a recruiting assistant, I was able to play party in the USA on the sideline during practice and all the, you know, the old line is over there dancing. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Just right. different environment, you know, like just different environment. They, they, he wanted, you know, coach Fitz believed in having those guys loose, but Hey, intense, you know, cause he's an intense guy, but you know, it was just different. Like, Hey, you have to be intense in verse or you have to be intense in certain areas of your life. Not so much, you know, I, I want you to still have fun. Like I still want you to be college kids and like enjoy your college experience outside of football. You know, it's just different, different levels. And then, you know, with coach Trustman, it was, Hey, when, when we first got to Toronto, it was like, Hey, there's a, there's a rule around here. Like, don't, don't have your headphones on before the game. Don't, you know, or if you do have your headphones on, that's fine, but make sure your music isn't playing out loud. Huh. Stay to yourself. And, and it was weird because you saw more guys that would try to do it and buy in, but it, it, it's at a certain point you would see sometimes where guys would be like, I don't, they didn't understand it. Like they didn't understand it. And coach would have to explain like in his, in his philosophy, it was, Hey, I, you know, maybe I like hip hop, but maybe the guy right next to me doesn't. And so like, I'm agitating him every day cause I'm playing hip hop in my locker, but the other guy wants to listen to heavy metal. So he just, his biggest thing was about making sure that everybody was aware of everyone else. And, and you know, like there's a balance in that. There's a balance in being, you know, hard-nosed, disciplinarian, and then also understanding like, hey, I, you know, even as a coach, like, yes, I lead, but I may not always be perfect either. Like I'm doing my best every day to, you know, work on who I am as a person or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, like, I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. And so like, I'm, I've got my own character things that I like, you know, like, shoot, I, I'm, you know, for me outside of football, I like to draw, I'm an artist. So, hmm. I, I, you know, it's something random, like, but I've had to, you know, you, as a coach, you stifle certain things because, hey, I'm too busy to do it or whatever it may be. You know, these players are the same way. Like for Dennis Rodman, like even his coach, it's funny, they mentioned Phil, but um, who was his first coach? Um, Daly? Chuck, Chuck Daly. Chuck mm-hmm. Daly. So it, that was his, that's why he was so close with Chuck Daly because Chuck Daly let him be himself. Got and, and sometimes yeah. those guys, like sometimes those guys or, or players like that, they need a different kind of nurturing. And, and when you listen to Dennis Rodman's full story and you kind of understand his background, there's a lot of like layers to different trauma that he's experienced to different um, you know, just different arenas that he's different things that he's experienced that have created who he was when you met him as a 20 plus year old, you know, male or whatever his age was. And so it's right. kind of like, he, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and change who he is because, you know, this is what he needs in order to kind of be balanced in his daily life. I mean, that's what it's all about. Everybody's seeking balance and everybody wants that in their life. So you know, I'm not going to stifle a player who, you know, may be a little different. Maybe he wants to wear his hair crazy. I don't, you know, I don't care about that kind of stuff. Dude, do your thing. Right. And I think like, yeah. I think it's like in college, like that, it gets trickier because you have the younger, the player, right. The younger, the mind is sometimes. So like, there are like, you know, what, what was the situation that happened at Ole Miss? Like player doing the dog thing in the, in the end zone. Like right. He was, yeah. He was, you know, like, too, I'm like, you know, yeah. and, and you think about it like that, that ultimately got that head coach fired because it looked like he didn't have control over his team, you know, and, and mm. you think about, you know, you think about stuff like that. It's like, okay, what's the, the, there's a fine line, right? Like you have to say, guys, what's, 
let's let's you know kind of do what's called common sense like we should know hey we can't do that on the field like you're on national television or you're maybe you're not even in national television but just imagine your parents are sitting here watching you is that what you want them to see on a daily basis or you know whatever it whatever it means for that particular player but ultimately this whole business comes down to forming relationships with players so you understand what it is that they're motivated by that, that's exactly right and, and coach yeah. I, I know you kind of said it offhanded but I'm kind of curious since you've been around so many different coaches what what would what would be your uh thoughts on on music in the locker room uh because uh, I've been at a bunch of places and, and I've kind of been through the same thing um and and I honestly kind of liked it when the whole group was listening to one song you know obviously there's there's a few guys that that don't like you know that or they want it to be silent and um and I was like that at, at certain games. And to me, it was as easy as putting in my headphones or going into a different, you know, area. And, and I was good. But most of the time, I enjoyed it. And I think the kids enjoy it because it's something about normally it's never – it's not normally a, a guy that nobody likes that's blaring his music. It's a guy that most of the time the people really respect or he knows the music that everyone listens to and everyone's listening to it and everyone's kind of coming together. I, I don't know. I, I've – and obviously, I'm sure there's there's other reasons not to, but um, for me, I always kind of enjoyed it when the whole team was was going to the same song and we were getting ready to play a game, and and that was always kind of a that's something I look back to now, and, and one of my bigger memories than than remembering most of many games is is kind of you know in the locker room listening to music with everybody before a game. Right. I mean, oh, and and you know what? Like that is the thing that everybody misses. Like as a coach, mm -hmm. as a player, as as a you know, as anybody who's been a part of a sport in general, you miss the the locker room when you're done with it. Like you miss that atmosphere of being around the guys or the girls. You know, for women's sports, like you miss the 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 random jokes that you would crack with your next door neighbor in the locker room you miss the you know just the whole it's the chemistry it's the whole environment that's why like you know for me I, I think like it's about a culture it's about like it's bigger than just you know especially like you know for college it's it's you you're in that school for potentially four you know five years depending on where you go and how you play and all those kinds of things so you know, to me, like music is one of those things that kind of brings people together. Um, so in my mind, like, hey, music is, is fair game. Just my, my biggest thing is, hey, whoever my leadership group is or leadership council or however you do it, my captains, however you want to do it. Hey, make sure that we have a playlist that kind of adheres to everybody's taste. You know what I mean? Like, and let's just know, like, hey, before a game, this is this is kind of the vibe as a team we want to have, and we're cool with this. If you have guys get on the same page, now you eliminate all the other problems that could come up mm -hmm. from maybe there's too much music or maybe there's not enough of, like, my particular style of music or maybe there's too much of yours, whatever, you know, whatever could come up. Um, I, I think that music can be a unifying force, and I think it's just a simple conversation. Um, and, and it seems like, honestly, like, when you look at practice, like, again, like, I, you know, being at Northwestern, when we would play music at practice, like everybody on the field would take turns dancing to something, even if it wasn't <laughs> something that they would like. Right? Absolutely. Like, like, so maybe there's a D lineman that like never heard or never really listened to country. Well, I get, I bet by like the end of the season, 
if there, there's going to be like one song, one country the, song they love, yeah, that's right. That he's going to be like, yo, like, okay, I really like this song and I can deal with it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I kind of like it. I can dance to it. I can move to it. It's cool. And, and like, that's, I, I think where like people have to allow, you, you have to give, you know, athletes a space. You have to give your coaches a space. You have to give everybody that space to grow individually yet work together as a collective i mean that's the teams that you see that are successful year in and year out there's a culture of like hey you be you but like at the same time like this is our culture and you know this is what we do coach you know i've written all a bunch of things on the whiteboard here and there was one thing that i had circled so i'd be kind of remiss if i you know didn't get a chance to to ask you about it because it sounded like it was kind of a, a pretty cool turning point for you in your coaching career but having the opportunity to go do the, uh, the Bill Walsh Minority Fellowship. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners would be interested in, you know, how do you get that opportunity? And then more important, you know, what all does it entail? What are some of the things you're learning, some of the takeaways, some of the doors and avenues that it opens? Because I think it's, it's, a, it's a really, really cool thing. And I think a lot of people would like to learn a lot more about it. Yeah. So, you know, with the Bill Walsh Minority Fellowship, it's a, um, it's, it's really awesome. Um, in terms of, you know, being in an NFL environment and learning football. There was so much football that took place during that internship period of like, let's say I was in San Francisco for three weeks. You know, I'm able, you know, in that experience, I'm able to sit in the meetings. I'm able to kind of just be a fly on the wall. And I was able to sit in, you know, the big thing that like our uh, coordinator wanted us to do. His name was Thomas McGay. He's he's the uh, special teams coordinator for the uh, New York Giants. Um, he, his biggest thing was like, hey, this is how I got my start in the NFL. So guys like get around, float around, go to different rooms, meet with different players. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, meet with different players, but like, hey, you know, for me, I was able to go sit in on the quarterbacks meetings. So that was really cool, like, you know, to see, like, you know, like Colin Kaepernick and how he digested information and to see, like, you know, Blaine Gabbard, I think, was the backup and, and just some of the guys that were there and just how those guys digested information and were able to pick up that offense and then, you know, go sit in the running back room as well and go sit in the old line room. I did a lot of time, you know, with the old line and with uh, special teams um, more than anything, but, like, just, you know, those um, – just that experience of being able to kind of learn the, the system that they were running and installing and just understand what goes into um, how to present and things like that. I mean, it was, it was a, like you said, it was a turning point for me because it, uh, it made me understand like just what the work looks like um, to be in that uh, arena. And so um, I had applied for fellowships like, you know, multiple years um, and I had honestly like sent out um, letters. Like I went through and typed up letters and sent them out to all 32 teams. Like, and I would do it every year and I'd always send it to the head football coach and the general manager. And I would just like, hey, I'm, you know, I want to apply for the Bill Walsh Minority Fellowship. Um, and, and part of this was just from being around, uh, like being at Southern, like we would go to the uh, Senior Bowl. And every year at the Senior Bowl, uh, the Fritz Pollard Alliance um, gets together and they basically talk about, you know, these little things. So I would suggest like if you, you know, if somebody's listening to this and they want to do a Bill Walsh Minority Fellowship, I would suggest looking up 
uh, the, the Fritz Pollard Alliance um, and, and, and kind of seeing what they do because they, that's where they work. They want to help get as many coaches into the pipeline as, you know, offensive line coaches and quarterback coaches that are minorities. Um, and they, they, they support that that background. So like they meet every year at the senior bowl and things like that. So, you know, going in those meetings, that was big for me in terms of learning, like, Hey, you need to get your stuff out to everybody because if you get your stuff out to everybody, that that's more people laying eyes on your resume. Um, and you just never know what, what, you know, what's the eye catcher for somebody. Like for me, coach McGay, he looked at my resume because he was like, man, you know, this guy is kind of young, but he's from Chicago and that's where I was born. So like, let me, let me, let me check this kid out. Like that was, I mean, that was his conversation with me once I was leaving. So it was like, <laughs> you just never know the little things hmm. that can kind of make you stand apart and, and, and make somebody, you know, catch your resume amongst thousands. Because I'm sure, you know, across the country, there's hundreds of guys applying for these same internships every year. Um, well, Coach, uh, obviously the way that we found out about you, as I said at the beginning, was – was we saw your resume on Twitter. So I'm, and again, I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen anyone do that. I'm sure there are out there, but I haven't personally seen it. Maybe I just haven't seen it blow up, you know, like yours did. What made you, you know, what made you think to do that? What made you, what was there, were you nervous at all to, to put that out there? Were you nervous to put your number out there? I mean, you, you put the entire resume out there and I think I would assume you've gotten, you know, hundreds of, of calls from, uh, prospecting, you know, different schools around the country. But uh, what was, you know, what, who, did you come up with that idea? What, what, uh, what transpired to have you put that out on Twitter? I think it was a brilliant idea. So actually, and this, this is really funny. I, I was at the convention and it had to be in 20, shoot, it's been some years, probably like 2016, 2015. Hmm. I can't remember. Uh, 2016. And, um, it was in Nashville. And I just remember I, I run into uh, coach Van Malone, who's at uh, Kansas state. And at the time, I think he was out of a job. Like I think he was the defensive coordinator at SMU for, uh. he had been there for years when I had known him. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually did the same thing, but he did it with like a graphic. It was just like, Hey, I've been the D coordinator. I've been here. I've been here. I've been here and he, you know, he made a joke out of it. He said something to the effect of like, you know, my mom said, you know, closed mouths don't get fed. So, Hey, here, here's my resume. Like if somebody needs a coach, I'm out here. Like I'm available. <laughs> and I, and I, I really, you know, I looked at it and I'm like, dude, this is a really bold move. Like it's a bold move. Like most people don't think to use, you know, Twitter or use their social media for things like that. But like you said, like, you know, I'm really grateful because there's been so many people that have reached out um, just to try and help. Like, you know, more than anything, like, you know, you got coaches from all levels, whether it's high school, junior college, like, you know, people that are just saying, hey, you know, how, you know, how can I help? How can I, can I call somebody? Can I do this? You know, it's just, it shows you, um, you know, you just have to be grateful for, for your opportunities and grateful for, you know, the things that um, come if you just kind of um, just put, put it out there like, hey, I need help. And, and honestly, that's something that a lot of players have to learn like that's a tough lesson for guys to learn and, and men in general like we it's hard for us to sometimes ask for help you know we really want to try to do everything on our own and our ego I mean like you alluded to earlier in, in, in the show like you know our ego gets in the way we don't know how to ask for help 
And so, you know, as a, that's part of my growing lesson right now is like, hey, you know, I, I have to be able to ask for help when I need it. Um, and in this profession, that's what this thing is all about, whether it's, hey, reach out to somebody and ask about, um, you know, if they have positions open, reach out to somebody and, hey, you know, I don't really know how we run this, you know, how you run this scheme, like coach me through it or talk me through it. Like, don't be afraid to just ask questions, because, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the only way you get the answers you need in order to be successful long term. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of got the idea from Coach Malone and I mean, and I just ran with it. Something just that, that day just told me to, you know, get up and, hey, what can I do? Like throw my resume out there and just see what happens. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been kind of cool. I mean, now there were some retweets that were kind of interesting, uh, you know, just people <laughs> that I had never met before or, you know, just random arenas that they may work in or whatever, just trying to help. And, hey, you know this guy's looking for a job and his resume is great. So like, check him out. <laughs> like it was just kind of interesting. It was just right. kind of, like, it was just kind of interesting. Um, it was really, you know, like I said, I'm just really grateful for the response that I've gotten and, and uh, those kinds of things. Coach Malone, man, he, he's, he's a great dude. I, he was at Tulsa and I remember he was like our, our first meeting, like staff meeting. I started late, you know, kind of one of those crazy deals. Like you said, you know, I got to hop in a car and, and go up to Toronto. Well, I, I get hired late at Toronto at uh, Tulsa because a guy, you know, quit late, and you know, you don't know anybody. You're kind of intimidated, and and Coach Malone was the first guy, you know, that comes up, you know, right after the meeting, like, hey, man, I know they didn't introduce you, but I want to introduce myself. I'm Van Malone. You know, you let me know if there's anything you need. So you kind of hit it off right away. But I mean, it says a lot about the kind of character he is, you know, to to reach out to somebody knowing, you know, I was probably going to need help. I was in that moment too, you know, like, hey, I don't know anybody. D1 ball we're, we're getting rolling here I haven't broke down any film nothing and, and he reached the hand out and he's like hey man let me know if you need anything so what a cool yeah. dude and th and that was honestly like you know the biggest thing like when I got up to Toronto like you know we we I'm I'm trying to learn Mark Trestman's West Coast offense for the first time and so I'm trying to Ouch. learn and and not only learn it, it you know like learn it in general but now I'm trying to learn it from you know, a, a game that I've never been a part of in terms of the CFL. So it was really interesting to try and like digest and like, you know, all of our coaches up there, like, you know, Marcus Brady, who's the quarterback's coach for the uh, Colts now, um, Thomas, uh, Tommy Condell, um, who's the offensive coordinator for uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And, you know, uh, Jonathan Heimbach, who's the O-line coach, he's now at um, Air Force. Um, you know, like they all were kind of like, dude, like, we know that this is a lot to digest because we've been around it for an extended amount of time. Whatever you need help with, like, just let me know. Like, oh, uh, Steve Walsh is another one. Steve is now the, the quarterback's coach in Ottawa. Like, Steve Walsh is absolutely awesome, by the way. He's an awesome guy. Uh, but Steve, I mean, Steve was a quality control just like I was, and he was doing, you know, quarterback quality control work, and I was working with the old line And so I'm coming in literally at week nine of 18. And I mean, that's exactly what it was. It was like, hey, we, we're not going to just leave you hanging here. We understand like, dude, you're, you're trying to learn this whole system overnight, basically. And it just it doesn't work that way. So take your time, like ask questions and, you know, just get out of your comfort zone. You know, a lot of times, like I said, guys, we don't want to ask questions, but we, we have to in order to kind of get out of our own way. Amen, well, coach, man. That's, ex that's exactly right. And that's a, it's a tough thing to do, uh, but you're exactly right. Um, we're running up on an hour now, um, but before we let you go, the, the thing that I always like to ask guys uh, is 
when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things they'd be doing that make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Oh, man. Um, communication. Um, you know, you watch, like, to me, like, I really just from, you know, kind of doing some different things, whether it was in scouting and stuff like that, like, you know, at one point I was able to have an opportunity doing like some external scouting for the Cleveland Browns. And that was really cool. Cause I was working like, I had to watch DBs. That was like my first project. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was different. Cause I, you know, I had to pinpoint and the, the intricacy that went into pinpointing like every little thing that they wanted to chart on those plays. It's kind of like how you, it's kind of like a lot of stuff. Like if you have people that have worked for like pro football focus or anything like that, um, it, it's a lot of the detail that goes into it. But um you know, I like, I like to sit and see like, Hey, is everybody getting off on the same cadence? Like, you, you know, you can really tell, like, uh, it, it excites me when I watch offensive linemen and I'm like, man, these guys are physical. They're playing together. They're communicating. And you can just tell and see on film, like, Hey, they're maybe tapping each other. Like, Hey, we're working here. You see guys pointing, you see, you know, just that overall operation. Cause that means that he's gotten whoever that coach is, he's gotten them, um, comfortable with themselves, but he's also coached them up to where they understand what they see and they're able to adjust appropriately. Um, and so like, that's kind of a, that's one thing that I always look at that's really impressive is just, Hey, are all the guys getting off on the same footwork? Are they all doing the same technique? Are they, you know, just doing different things to kind of uh, show that, Hey, <laughs> like we're, we're a unit. Um, you know, Coach Barry's biggest thing was always he wanted to call his O-line the nickel um, for the idea of having five guys play as one. You know, it's one solid substance. Is, you know, it's nickel instead of five pennies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that, so when I watch film, I'm, that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at to see, hey, are these guys playing as a five-person unit? Um, and, and, you know, what does that look like? Um, and are they playing at a nasty physical, you know, level? And, you know, are they, are they look like, do they look like they're having fun playing the game and, and, you know, wailing on people throughout the course of the game. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about run the power. And if you enjoy running the power, go get your shirt, long sleeve or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.